Hello, everybody, and welcome to Realm Walkers, an Age of Sigmar podcast. I am your host, Gregory, joined today by my co-hosts, Bryce. Hello. And Carlin. Hello, 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 hello. If you've been following along with us, in our second podcast, we began to explore the lore of Age of Sigmar. We started in the Age of Myth, where Sigmar came from the old world, basically holding on to a star as he flew across the cosmos. Now he gathered the gods and brought them together under his pantheon. Then we discussed the Age of Chaos, the fall of Sigmar's rule, as the four Chaos gods turned their eyes to the mortal realms and sought to destroy all that Sigmar had brought. And today, we finally enter the Age of Sigmar. I'd like to read a small little blurb from the book before we get into what we've been hobbying today. Sigmar's vengeance against the Chaos Gods was slow in coming, but when it it did so with an epoch-shattering fury. From the threshold of disaster, Sigmar snatched those champions, strong enough to defy Chaos, and in Azir he remade them. One by one, these heroic souls were reforged as warriors of storm-wrought fury. The first among them had to endure centuries of anticipation, meditation, and training. Readying for a moment of revenge that seemed never to come, painstakingly Sigmar worked to create his new armies, and with the greatest of artifice, had Grungi labor to forge the divine lightning that would carry them. Alright, so before we get too far into the lore, what have we been hobbying today? So, why don't you start us off, Carlin? Or what have you been hobbying lately, anyways? Well, first off, I gotta say, I was so taken aback by your speech there that I, I just need a drink. <laughs> Much better. Okay, so, gotta have some alcohol okay. in my system. <laughs> um, <laughs> gotta have... Yeah, if, you, if you're thirsting over Sigmar, that's fine. Usually that's Bryce MO, but you can do it too. Hey, I don't thirst over nobody, okay? Hey, you don't thirst over Warpstone. I appreciate good. the man for what he does. Look, it's just a fun thing to have a lot of, okay? And nobody else can have it. <laughs> um, anyways, to what I have been hobbying. Um, I have taken on the duteous task of moving all my Citadel paints into droppers. So that's been a process. I have done, oh, I think 90% of my paints now. So I've been a, you know, moving around a fair bit of paint, getting some paint on my hands and things. Luckily, no crazy accidents have happened. I was kind of worried that, I don't know, somehow I would spill paint everywhere, but it has not happened. But yeah, so otherwise, I finished painting my buddy's model, which I posted about on our Facebook. Uh, feel free to take a look on there to see the model and my buddy's mask, but yet very smiling face. Promise. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, not too much. I've been so busy with school and preparing for exams. Not even funny. Did you just use like funnels or something like that for the droppers? Yep. Uh, through Amazon, I got these the small droppers, and I got uh, these uh, like small plastic funnels to go inside it. And just uh, I used a bit of blue tack on the side of it, so basically, because otherwise the funnel would kind of stop the airflow into the dropper, and then nothing would flow in. Mm-hmm. So a little blue tack helped lift it up and let the air circulate, so that way the paint could flow into the dropper nicely. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 It's it's a process, but it makes paint control so much nicer and helps you control your waste. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Bryce, what have you been hobbying? Um, my hobbying has consisted of me looking at my models and wanting to paint them, but not actually uh, putting any paint on them. <gasps> well, we're getting a big uh, we're getting a big paint job session done this weekend. Yeah. So 
Hopefully your your Stormcast are good. Bryce's just needs to get them done before they add the your painted models are worth ten <laughs> points into the game. I mean, I have a fully painted uh, warrior chamber. It's just I don't know. I ran out of that Mephist in red, and I haven't been able to get my hands on any until yeah. you said you had some. So I have a pot. And I'm going to be Bryce's dealer to get him that sweet, sweet Mephist in red. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting them done. There's still, I think, 13 of them. 12 or 13 that I still have to paint. Yeah. So, yay. (laughs) All right, so as for myself, uh, I have... uh, So those three crisis suits... We don't care. Okay, blah, 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 Skaven, Skaven, blah, 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 blah. I'll have you know I haven't painted a single Skaven (laughs) recently. Um, So let's see. I uh, Those three crisis suits are still sitting there. Crying that there's no Blood Angels red anywhere. Uh, let's see. I got. Um, I found a really good deal, and somebody sold me twenty ghouls for my Flesh Eater Court for twenty bucks. So I've got my ghouls, my uh, Flesh Eater Court, up to two thousand points. Uh, the only issue with that was that the guy really went liberal on the super glue. So most of their feet are Ooh. gone. So I just sort of buried their. Yeah. So what I did was um, the trick is that I do this for a lot of models where the feet get fucked up. If you use the Strickland Mudland, put it on the base, and then pull that paint up to about, like, the ankle height. It'll just look like they're trudging through mud, and it'll pile around mm-hmm. the feet. So it just looks like they're kind of, like, ankle-deep in mud. It looks perfectly fine. Uh, Strickland Mudland is the cheat uh, to make, like, to hide anything on a base. <laughs> yeah. uh, otherwise, uh, I had a bunch of leftover, like, bits from my Terrorgeist and some Tyranid bits, and I kitbashed a beast of chaos that look like a crab because i ain't paying beast of uh chaos uh, not beast of chaos uh beast of nurgle uh, a beast of nurgle model because i'm not paying the amount of money they want me to pay for like 50 points on the table i'm gonna just kit bash all my beasts of nurgle so and honestly that makes them the most nurgly yeah i may have bought a couple and i kind of regret doing that instead of just kit bashing them do 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 <laughs> don't do what i do Tyranid parts without some some of the less specific Tyranid parts can really work. Uh, if you just uh, like think about how you use them, as long as you're not using like the really obvious like plating and stuff, and even then, like you can probably get away with it. Um, and then I've used some of the uh, leftover like uh, flesh eater quartz like torsos. Um, yeah, and there's like there's a lot of kind of. Um... Like with Nerdle stuff in AOS, I know that they got a lot of like nautical kind of like they do got shells and shit like that on them. Yeah, so exactly. Kind of a lot, it's pretty believable, especially in the Age of Sigmar setting. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's what I've been hobbying. All right. Do you mind if I detour us just ever so slightly? Okay. What's up? To all of our listeners thus far, I just want to give a big, big grateful thank you. Um, as of recording this episode, we have just hit over a hundred downloads. Like Hell yeah. holy crap, oh, yeah. we are over a hundred with two episodes. Thank you, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts. This means a lot to us. Like I did not think we'd be at this many downloads of only two episodes. I figured we'd be and um, maybe oh. in the forties. That we're over a hundred is amazing. Thank you. The horned rat smiles upon us. Or you know, me specifically. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. For Sigmar. Sure. Yeah, whatever. Go, go, sink for Sigmar some more. Like, or it was Nurgle because <laughs> he's generous. Yeah. Anybody feeling sick recently? 
<laughs> granddad send you any presents? <laughs> no. All right. So let's move into our deep dive into the lore. Today we are looking at book one of the Realmgate Wars, The Gates of Azir. And starting us off is Bryce with chapter one. Yeah, so we'll start with the first chapter of, uh, again, The Gates of Azir by Chris Wright. Um, the book starts with Vandis. Um, it's inside. Um, they just call it the Golden City here, but obviously it's High Azir. Um, Vandis is kind of standing over uh, his army of his storm hosts, sorry, I should use the proper term, of uh, 10,000. Uh, 10,000 soldiers here uh, consist of, you know, liberators, retributors. They kind of go through uh, in the first chapter and you get a description of basically what the models look like on the tabletop and stuff like that. I really like it. And then you get kind of uh, an introduction to uh, a couple of, like, the, I guess, lieutenants or captains of the army. There's a mention of a Anactos Skyhelm. Um, I believe that would be a Lord or Knight Venator. Knight Venator. Uh, and then uh, the mention of uh, Ionis Cripborn, uh, the Lord Relector of the uh, Hammer, yeah, Hammerhands would be his specific storm host of the Hammers of Sigmar. Um, after you kind of get this introduction of him kind of, you know, looking out over his army and just being so proud of this, you know, what they are and like what they stand for. Um, then you get kind of, you know, Vandis gets into a bit of a speech to get them all, you know, ready to go. And then with, you know, kind of a snap of a finger, the entire chamber is shook with uh, a boom. Several, I believe, if I'm going back over this properly. And then next thing you know, the entire room is just empty and all the storm casts have just cleared out. And then that leads the very short first chapter into chapter two. Stormcast ready to go fuck some shit up. Mm -hmm. I have to say I love that intro because it doesn't necessarily go too much into the Stormcast, how they look like or anything. It kind of just briefly mentions the shine of their armor and things like that. And just kind of the epic rallying cry. I just <laughs> imagine Vandish shouting out to the Stormcast and they're all going, Rah! cheering him on and in that moment lightning surges around and just brings him out and it's i got this really epic scene in my head from it mm -hmm. love it they've really been waiting a while to go kick chaos's ass and most of them probably either died to or because of chaos so <laughs> they're they're ready to go they've been waiting oh yeah absolutely um yeah as you said that brings us into chapter two and Chapter 2 starts off in the Realm of Akshi, which is the Realm of Fire. And kind of to set the scene, this realm right now, like this air smells like ash, there's fire everywhere, kind of lakes of lava, everything is kind of desolate and distraught, like there's bones and skulls everywhere, because the forces of chaos have been feasting on people 
most specifically the forces of corn have been feasting on people for a long time there. And so chapter two opens up with a woman named uh, Kalja and her tribe, uh, about 40 people at this point, running away from blood reavers. Um, it's said that essentially the tribe has been slowly taken by servants of corn. Um, the first to go were the elderly and the crippled. Then over time, infants were taken away, making it so that the tribe was doomed for the future because there's no one you know, to go forth and carry on a tribe. Once people are dead, they're gone. Um, but yeah, everyone who was taken or eaten because corn loves her cannibalism. <laughs> As we said in the last episode, cannibalism or death. They're hungry. Very hungry. In fact, a little hangry even. Uh, yes. But yeah, like the tribe, the people, they were very all thin, starved, and very scarred up. They've been basically on the move all their lives, always trying to run away from the corn worshippers. Um, but then the book kind of goes into a character named Rock, is how I'm going to say it. Um, and he's a blood reaver. Um, him and his fellows are literally feasting on people they've just captured. Uh, it's described as a meat orgy. Essentially, the camp is covered in gore, uh, blood, and bodies. Uh, just a stink of death everywhere. As all these people are literally just you know, ripping off meat from uh, the dead people that they've killed. I will add. I will add that I'm putting the phrase "meat orgy" on my list of most awful phrases. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there is just a little part here I want to read because I found it really kind of put in uh, perspective, like from his this character Rock, about what it's like to be a blood reaver. The blood reavers were not witless savages, and for those who merited it, there is always a way to survive. The price was cheap. Join in the meat orgies, learn to savor the quivering fats of the human's body, suck them up and roll them around your mouth while you spat out praises to the Lord of Blood. Rack had made that choice a long time ago now. Every so often he remembered the first nights, when all he wanted was to all he wanted to do was wretch, when he rocked himself to a fitful sleep, keeping his horror hidden, lest it make him the next prey. I love this because it just shows, even though these people are worshiping corn, even though they are taking part of you know, all this cannibalism and such, they are still afraid because in the end, if they show a little bit of fear, if they show the fact they're not relishing eating these poor people, they're going to be eating themselves because it almost... There can be no weakness in corn's <laughs> domain. Absolutely not. So just ugh, the kind of the thought of it and almost how grim dark it is kind of thinking about that perspective. But isn't Corn the god of honor and also baby eating? Just remember that <laughs> next time you claim Corn is a god of honor, that his followers eat babies. I mean, I'm sure Slanesh followers do the same, so. Babies are tender. We don't have... I don't want the word baby and Slanesh in <laughs> the same sentence ever, yeah, so sorry. let's move on. Getting away from that quickly. Um, anyways, yeah, so we get from there, the leader of the Reavers tell them to start moving since they're closer to prey. Uh, Kelja is leading her tribe through a valley, um, which kind of ends with a gorge, um, with, between the walls at the end of the valley. Essentially, they try to squeeze through the gorge space. It's really tiny, barely, barely enough room for one person at a time. Um, it's, the stone, uh, in the walls are described as hot, and the ground is described as oily. Um, so just like nasty as they're going through. 
um, when uh, Caldry gets out, uh, finds herself on the open plain. There's uh, geysers of sulfur, uh, trails of fire, and permits of bone. Like, clearly not a good landscape, not somewhere you want to be, but this is actually. Um, but among all this was an old shattered buildings of a long um, gone empire. So something from the age of myth. And even more, there's this large archway that stands out to Kalja. Uh, it's so huge that armies could walk through it. On the pillars of the archway, she sees symbols of dragons, astrological signs, serpents, comets, and more. And she looks at the valley uh, to see um, how her people are going to go through and kind of when she kind of evaluates that, she looks at her tribe and she finds there's less than 30 people left. So as they've gone through the valley and gone through the gorge, they've lost more than 10 people. So kind of right away showing the horror of, oh, people are probably falling down on the ground or heck, maybe even blood reavers are that close that they're swiping off people. And he, this also kind of really adds to the darkness of it. It basically says that Kelja's thoughts were simply, well, hopefully the, the people that are missing can buy them some time. Because the blood reavers, they're well fed. Uh, they constantly have energy coming from all the people they're eating. So they are being, they have the energy to chase down the, the tribe and drive themselves. They're starving. They're trying to get through. And because they're starving, they're weak and not nearly as fast. So every person that falls behind is hopefully something that can slow down the blood reavers. And then as she's figuring out what to do, she hears a scream come from like the cleft of the gorge. Uh, a voice that she recognizes, a friend, maybe a family member. The scream is so intense. The culture can't even imagine what torture the man was going through. And so her tribe begins to run because they need to get away because they know blood reavers are coming. Which then brings us into chapter three. But yeah, what do you think of that, guys? Because I, I think that really sets the scene. This is what the Age of Chaos has done to this realm. Yeah, I, I think, obviously... Chaos does bad stuff. There's a lot of stuff in this chapter that kind of, you know, shows just how, I want to say deranged, but I don't think, I guess debased, the people of the realm have become, and like, just because they've been forced to by, you know, like you were explaining earlier that like, if they didn't do it, or if they showed that they didn't want to do it, they'd get eaten, or... Campbell's or death. Yeah. I was going to say uh, murdered beforehand, but, you know, knowing Torn, these people probably that eventually get eaten, put in alive. So that's always... Well, fun. and actually, the chapter specifically talks about how uh, the, the meat is sweeter when the people are still alive when they start eating. Yay. Yep. So I'm just imagining these people are being ripped apart while they're still alive, not being allowed to die. So that scream of that man is probably a guy who's literally having his flesh ripped off his bones uh, just so the blood reavers can eat. Yay. Yeah. I find it weird. Like, I don't know. Like, Korn's all about, like, strength and survival of the fittest, and then he, like, starves people and just eats starving. Like, I don't know. That feels weird to me. That's just, like, my brain where it's like, well, the wouldn't he want everybody and everything but the crush but the pro yeah i guess but people can't be you, you can't have a good battle if half of the people in your realm are literally dying like i i, I guess 
that that's just one of those things where it's like, I, I guess this is kind of like the real nature of the gods where it's like they're all they try to present themselves one way, but there's yeah. always like they're always sick and twisted. And they're never it's never gonna be a good thing with the uh, the chaos gods. Yeah, and that's no, kind of uh it kind of gets represented uh through you kind of get like the, yeah. the POV of some of the corn characters, especially like the uh the stronger like lords and stuff and there is just a straight up mention of the fact that like since they've crushed out all the worthy competition that yeah you know things haven't been as fun to them i guess that's the easiest way to say it so like there there is an actual mention of like that there was a decline because of the way things are happening okay so i there was that because yeah but talking about that we'll get into chapter three uh, in chapter three, we get to see a little bit more of the Chaos Warriors uh, perspective. Essentially, like they're running after chasing down the tribes people. Kind of always uh, saying blood for the blood god, like chanting out their ritualistic corn worship. And essentially, this chapter is going to start introducing us into some big characters. And anyone who's a corn player would probably know this character, whether they're into lore or not. His name is Chorus Call. Now, Corvus Call is a mortal man who's lived a thousand years or so. He is a devout worshiper of corn. He is big, badass, and pretty much everything you don't want to be fighting against. His own his own goal Yeah, his own goals are to ascend to demonhood. So like so keep in mind, he's not just a man who's trying to serve his God. No, he wants to be a demon. And as they're going through his chapter, they're kind of talking about like chorus call coming in but also this giant uh demon of corn uh, his name is skullbrand yeah he's a pretty big guy just gonna pause for one quick second because i'm just gonna look up Scarbrand's model so i can better describe it Scarbrand's a different character. Thank you. Well, Stolbrand is the Bloodstoker. One moment, yeah. Stolbrand's the Bloodstoker. Scar- Skullbrand Scarbrand or Scarbrand? Scarbrand is a Bloodthirster. Stolbrand is the Bloodstoker in this case. Okay, perfect. Got him. Visual representation. Perfect. So, in. So, Skullbrand is this uh, blood stoker. He carries around this giant banner with corn symbol in it, kind of made of bronze, big ominous looking thing. And he himself, uh, following uh, Corgus Call, is going through, but clearly it seems like they're maybe fighting against each other a bit. Though Call is big bad. And. As they're kind of going through and starting this, the chapter mentions something that's really kind of cool. They mention, um, I believe it's Rack looking into the sky and seeing lightning course through it. When he looks at the lightning, he swears he can almost see 
people in the skies, like just faces people in the lightning. In that brief moment, something he kind of just like, uh, nah, I, I can't be seeing this. Not crazy. And so then the book uh, has Call Rock and everyone else continue chasing after a tribe, and it cuts over to the tri- the survivors. Um, and it starts mentioning this like unholy storm uh, being triggered partially by call, but there also seems to be a storm brewing up just with lightning everywhere around. One could say a holy storm. And call starts driving his people into a frenzy, uh, something they call a gore tide. And it's basically these people are going mad rage and wanting to go and kill. Um, they start carving these like eyes into the foreheads of these uh, corn worshippers getting them bleeding, getting causing them pain, getting them riled up. And Cole, it kind of goes into his vision of uh, what he wants to see, which is essentially, or his vision of what he feels his destiny. Essentially, he sees a giant pyramid of skulls and like uh, his biggest kills and everything. And basically, this is his vision of how he's supposed to ascend to demonhood, that he's going to have this ultimate kill at the end, at the top of it, or at least something he can bring up to the top. And this will be his offering to corn that will ascend into demonhood, the thing he's been wanting this whole time. I do appreciate that corn's uh, a very simple god. You want to be a demon? That's fine. I just want a giant pyramid of skulls. Acquire enough of those? Demon. No problem. Absolutely. I kind of like the last sentence of this chapter. The last sentence, basically, um, this character named Beck uh, uh, says this. uh, As the people are all charging, kind of frenzied up by the Gortai, going after the survivors. That is more like it, he said. I can hear the screams already. Uh, It's so ominous. I love it. Call is definitely like a character that I've grown uh, to like quite a bit. Just even going through the core rulebook, he's everywhere. He's always doing stuff. He He's very active, and he really, really wants to become a demon. So, you know, he's doing everything he can to be seen. It's just his thing. He just... <laughs> Notice me, corn senpai. <laughs> See me, oh, great corn. See me. And uh, Greg, since I know you're not as familiar with everything, you've just read the summary, I just want to ask you, we're halfway through. What is your feelings, your thoughts on this so far? Yeah, I mean, the buildup is great so far. Like, we've got the Stormcast. They they appear for, like, a second. We don't know what they can do yet. We just know (laughs) that Sigmar has spent a lot of time building up this army, and then they're gone. And then... Most of the time we're spending with the um we're spending way more time with the chaos uh followers and they're they're walking around and they're like, Oh what is that faces in the lightning? No, that can't be anything. Nah, we're fine. Like they're the ones <laughs> getting built up to getting uh with all the suspense right now as we're waiting for these super soldiers to come down and kick their ass. Like it's it's really good setup to the, the fight. And I think it's really cool that it's mostly taking place from the perspective of the Chaos uh, followers, rather than from the, the Stormcast followers. Yeah, it's mainly Chaos followers and or the survivors as they're trying their hardest just to live. Like, yeah, because I mean, I mean, at this point, like, because, like, they're the status quo. Like, they're, 
they're the people that are in charge of the mortal realms. So the concept of a super army showing up and, and beating them all to death is absolutely beyond anything that they could have considered at this point. So like, it's just, it's, it's really fun, really good build up for the inevitable showdown that is coming. Absolutely. All right. But yeah, so that takes us into chapter four. And basically, oh, chapter four. I thought that was chapter. Three. Well, I'm sorry. I just did chapter three. We're going to chapter four. Oh, you're right. I got lost. No worries. I wasn't sure if I confused you. I swear I'm not a disciple of Zinch. Worry about it. <laughs> All right, but yeah, chapter four kind of opens up with Rock and the other Reavers, you know, running and hunting harder than they ever have before. Uh, they were being crazed by the pain from the eyes being carved into their heads and bleeding into their eyes, and they're howling and everything as they're giving chase after the uh, tribe people. Um, and they're being driven by this incredible need, which is caused by the gore tide. Uh, it's not just a hunger. It's this need that they need to go and slaughter. And, you know, like it, the book even says, this is not just a meat orgy anymore. This is the gore tide. It's, and you think meat orgy is this horrible thought. How much worse is this? Yeah. But yeah, so he sees uh, Kalja and a tribe. And they give chase. Uh, Call pushes forward his army, uh, feeling corn, essentially giving a power, I say, near their prey. As this is happening, there's this incredible like lightning storm uh, forming and happening above them. Lightning is starting to strike the towers of the en- ancient empire. Um, there's three towers that they seem to be bouncing across. Um, and a giant crack of thunder shakes the earth. And uh, literally makes uh, Rack stumble as he's running. He looks up and sees a vortex forming in the skies between the three towers. Um, with lightning chaining around in unusual, almost mutated ways, the book even says. Like the light from the vortex was causing the blood reavers to start feeling fear. Like all the worshippers of corn were kind of starting to like feel fear. They something was off of this light. It wasn't something they welcomed, something almost holy about this, something that goes against their very nature. Waves of thunder uh, kept continued to come, cracking and moving the earth. The earth is shaking and chunks of the ground are rising up and everything is moving around. Uh, the blood of the ears start running from the lightning. Um, Call was yelling as troops advanced forward. He was being exhilarated by the sense of fear he got from the storm. Essentially, like he's like, oh, there, there's something coming here that might be worthy of my attention. Oh, like he starts getting excited because he's like, I'm afraid for the first time in ever. This is not just you know, something in regards to some plain prey. There's something going on here. The world around the servants of the corn uh, started getting flooded with this blinding light. Uh, this was being caused by a beam of light coming down from the heavens, basically from the vortex. All the worshippers uh, looked away except for Call. Call was like, I am going to look at this. I'm going to see what's going on. I don't care if my eyes are burning. He saw what looked like crystal cocoons almost coming from the vortex and smashing into the ground, shattering. Um, and basically as the vision returned to the servants of corn, they kind of looked over and saw this army of golden armored men, uh, below where the vortex was. Well, vortex still there. It's still popping out people, but essentially these men were tall, uh, clad in this golden armor with mask like helmets on also gold. Uh, they look beef buff. Um, some had these wings, uh, that obviously were able to fly. These men were moved with 
perfect precision. They moved in unison. They raised their hammers all at the same time. They were literally on the same page with everything. One of them, uh, who we already talked about before, Ionis, he had his uh, skull-like mask on and a standard of gold and bone. Then one rode on this giant beast, this reptilian creature. He had a big bellowing cloak, this golden helmet again, but they had like this golden crest on it, much bigger than a regular Stormcast. And he bore a large, powerful hammer. Call saw this and he was like, yeah, guys, let's go. Finally, a battle worthy of us. Basically starts screaming, blood for the blood god. And forces uh, start charging forward. He specifically points at the leader, the one riding on the reptilian creature, and it's like, dude, you're mine. Now you'll take him on. But the book then starts switching perspectives. We start going, bouncing around from the perspectives of the different Stormcasts. So the one that's on the reptilian creature, his name is Vandis. The book makes very clear that he knows actually right away. He recognizes the smell of his land and such. But when he lands there, he doesn't recognize the lands anymore. Because they're so charred, so destroyed by the forces of corn. It also says that Vandis doesn't really know how long it's been since he uh, seen it last. It could have been months, it could have been hundreds of years. He doesn't know. But just all he knows is that what he remembers is incomplete ruins. The book even says, Vandis remembers the day the world died. And yeah, Vandis's thoughts kind of show like the Stormcast didn't know where they'd end up. They were... Where they had a rough idea where the gate, their mission was, but they didn't know if they'd be landing in front of it, on top of it, two miles away, who knows. But they landed pretty close and they were prepared for opposition. So when there was a giant army of corn all in front of them, they weren't deterred off. They're like, oh, we're ready for this. And their goal, as the book makes very clear, was to unlock the gate, which is that giant. Uh, archway that Keljo is looking at and it's Vandis uh, it's described as raiding, raising his hammer which it's called Heldenson raising up in the air and his uh, Drake Kenelax uh, starts roaring it's epic image Vandis yelling to me my brothers summoning all the stormcasts around him Vandis sees Skullbrand and feels no fear but when he saw Corgus call he was suddenly hit by memories of a time before when he was known as Vendel Blackfist and wasn't a Stormcast. Clearly, he had met Call before. It's kind of, we don't get too much details. He just remembers meeting Call, fighting him. Then we kind of switch to a perspective of one of the prosecutors, which are the Flying Stormcast. His name is Actos. I feel like I'm butchering that, but that's how I'm going to say Actos. And he orders his sky host, as he calls them, uh, the other prosecutors and everything that he orders uh, to race to the gate. Their goal is to get to it, to activate it, to unlock it. That is their goal. They're trying to get there. The skull mass one, Ionis, he starts moving forward with his personal guard. He uses his powers to boost the warriors around him. Um, it's, it seems like he's doing something to rally them, to make them a little stronger. But all this is starting to happen, and Vandis just orders the Stormcast to charge forward. That's how the chapter ends. All I got to say is, wow, huge, epic opening to the Stormcast. It's kind of like, yeah, here's the epic Warriors of Light. Bam! Lightning <laughs> and or light from the sky. They're smashing to the ground. And like, oh yeah, we're here to take on that army. I mean, I like it that they're like, we're here to get the gate. Oh, the army of Korn's also here. I mean, it saves us the trouble of having to find them later, I guess. Let's beat them up in the process. 
Like, oh, you're here already? Great. Thanks, guys. We don't have to go looking for you. <laughs> Two for one. God, Sigmar's going to be so glad when we get back that we've already taken care of the corn. <laughs> and uh, this chapter with like the actual introduction of them into the world and stuff like that was a major reason why I wanted to like actually continue playing the Stormcast. I, I, I really enjoyed uh Really enjoyed this chapter on both sides, but mostly for the Stormcast. Yeah, maybe. I had some notes down in the, when I, the stuff I was reading. I was like, all right, fine. Maybe, maybe the Stormcasts are kind of cool. Fine. They're always cool. Yeah, they do a great job of making the Stormcast look epic in every way. And I will admit, as much as I've made fun of Stormcasts a lot in the past... This made them kind of cool. They always have them. Maybe. But I think it's just a, such a great opening because, like, it, you know, continues to perspectives of the followers of corn. And it seems like everything is lost for those uh, tribes, people. But everything around, like, the lightning storm, everything brewing up, it's like, oh, something, something's happening here. And then, bam! Earth starts cracking. Bam! This blinding light happens, and bam, 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 bam. As the cocoons, like crystalline cocoons, start smashing the grounds, and these golden armored men start walking out. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! They did such a good job. Um, Chris Rate uh, did amazing job of writing this opening in. But yeah. So now that we've had that, Greg, I'll ask you again. How are you feeling now? Like I said. Uh... I'm 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 excited. I want to see the Comcast bust some heads, and I like that. I I I I just when the Stormcast first showed up, there's a very specific like Simpsons meme that I called to to, to mind, and it's that one with Ralph Wiggum's on the bus, and it's just Corgus Cull chuckles. I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to you uh, saying that, you know. Sigmar's going to be so happy that they uh, took care of Korn. I'm just imagining uh, in my own head, just as my own little cartoon in my head, Sigmar's sitting on his chair and Bandis comes charging and it's like, ha ha, we got Korn. And Sigmar looks around and is like, where? Oh, you know, an Akshi. But where's the popcorn? We took care of worship store. No, Bandis, I want popcorn. I feel like Sigmar could probably figure it out. Uh, as I said, just see kind of almost uh, chicken robot scene in my head. <laughs> All right, so that brings us up to chapter... <laughs> robot chicken. Don't know why I said chicken robot. Derp. So good. that brings us into chapter five, then. So uh, with chapter five, at the start, we're uh, back to Rack's point of view, and this is kind of uh, him after seeing the initial bombardment of Stormcast into the realm and, you know, watching them crash into the earth and those, like, lightning crystal cocoons and then literally just get up out of it like nothing and walk in the formation. Um, again, the, the chapter starts, like, moments after that happens, and we get into basically... Um, after the initial shock and awe he realizes that he he actually needs to kill these guys still he can't just you know stand there he was in the middle of his hunt he needs to fucking kill something now so basically um 
he comes up with the great idea of waiting until one of the prosecutors lands and is about to get up and then he gets him and his buddies to like jump on the back of the prosecutor because he's like yeah there's like 10 of us we can beat this guy and then he slowly kind of realizes that maybe that's not a good idea as he's watching like his buddies get their heads kicked off and stuff by this one man and like they do get the prosecutor down and like they get a couple good hits in and on him but then like the other stormcasts actually clue in and just like blast the rest of the blood reavers away and um there's actually a really good quote that i like at the end because basically like after the initial jump on the back of the prosecutor drag him down stab him a couple times they all just all the blood reavers get blasted away and the one quote is, amid all his dizziness, Rock couldn't help but spit out a bitter laugh. They had tried to take down one of them, just one, and failed. Now the whole pack was suffering the vengeance of these strange and terrible warriors, and within moments, they would be slaughtered to a man. So it's just, like, kind of shows how devastating just, like, a small pack of like, even a couple Stormcast can be, especially against these guys. And then with that happening in the rack, we're kind of sent across the battlefield, and um, I'm going to actually have to make a bit of a correction from earlier. Um, I told Carlin that um, Stolbrand was a blood stoker. He's not a blood stoker. He's a blood secretor. Um, I mentioned that because at this point in the book, um, we're introduced to a new character named Vec, and he is a Bloodstoker. Um, so his whole thing is he kind of, he has a bunch of beasts of chaos, but not beasts of chaos, if that makes sense. Uh, they're like crazed animals and stuff like that, not the humanoid faction that you actually get to play in the game. Um, but amongst these beasts of chaos and stuff like that that he has to kind of send out the enemy, um, he has something that I think this was the first appearance in uh, lore or anything. Uh, he has a pet Torgorath, which is just a big, angry, skull-eating death machine that this dude just whips up into, like, a fury and sends it out. I love your description, Jer. Just this big, angry, skull-eating machine thing. Just brilliant. Well, yeah, uh, there's a mention to it in a later book. I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure it's in the Realm Gate Wars later on, where there's just uh, one of the Kordoraths just starts uh, walking away from the warband halfway through. And they're like, why? He's like, oh, he's just got to go throw up all of his skulls that he ate on the throne now. So that's kind of where I got that description from. <laughs> Lovely. They kind of look like big monkeys. It's really specific, but they look like gorillas. Really deformed warp That was gorillas. it. That's the whole object. <laughs> yeah, but kind of like gorillas. That's the whole thought. You can continue with what you were saying. I just, I don't know whenever else I was going to get to say that I think corn grass kind of look like gorillas. So yeah. continue. So uh, basically, once we're introduced to this character, Vec, not only does Cordis Cole have his eyes set on Vandis, this man has his eyes set on Vandis too, and the first thing he sends his Cargorath after is Vandis. 
with Vect kind of, you know, getting his Torgrath into a Fury and sending it at Vandis, even though Vandis is sitting on, you know, this giant Dracoth mount, uh, Talonax, Vect thinks, you know, nothing's going to beat his pet. It's his pet. So when, you know, the Torgrath gets in to fight Vandis and Vandis just kind of swings his hammer around and knocks it over like it's a beanie baby, it's not, you know, the best of times for Vect. He's like, oh, shit. And then after he watches it get knocked around like a beanie baby, he gets it gets to watch it get the shit kicked out of it even more by Vandis. So yeah, there's a little bit of back and forth uh, between Vandis and Vec that I, I really like because one is clearly, you know, Stormcast speaking and the other one is clearly a follower of Korn speaking. I really like it. It goes, Know your enemy before he ends you, Spawn of Rune, came a clear voice cutting through the battle roar like a shaft of sunlight. I am Vandis Hammerhand, Lord Celestin of the Stormhost, and this night your reign comes to its end. And then as a quip back, you have Vect with the very corn. Then know yours, Hammerhand, he replied. I am Vec, named the Flare, and I shall wear your skin as my cloak before the night's end. If you perform well, I may even let you die first. So I just, I really like that because, like I said, it does really show you the the mindsets of the two uh opposing enemies here oh yeah that uh, could not be more polar opposites mm-hmm. absolutely continuing on in the chapter just from that point uh we move on to the retributors kind of part of the army moving into position to uh kind of make a wall of protection around the the gate because uh, as Carlin said earlier, the, the purpose of them coming here is to open up the gate. So if they don't protect this, there's no point in them trying to do this because they're literally just opening up a gate to Azir then for the bad guys. So I, I really like this part here because it just it does a good point of kind of showing and describing kind of, you know, how cool the retributors are here. And I love just the moment that, you know, the door tide meets this line of retributors. You get a wonderful line like, the retributors had waited for the moment of most impact before letting fly with their hammers. And with their release, the entire battlefront dissolved in a welter of cracked skulls and sprayed blood. Again, there's just little lines like this that I absolutely love because it's just like, you're not going to get that in most other places when you're reading your stories. <laughs> really good descriptions of like the murder and violence and heroics. Really well detailed in this book. Mm-hmm. So continuing on, you kind of get um, a little bit of a POV from the prosecutors and uh, their leader trying to actually activate the gates here. Kind of flying up to it and they start whipping these magical comets. Essentially, like, when they whip their hammers at the gate, they turn into comets and they strike it, and this is their kind of ritual to start opening up the gate. And um, because of kind of the interference with Rack and his Blood Reavers earlier, the ritual to open up the gates is behind. And this is kind of reflected when you get um, 
the point of view from Ionis, the Lord Relictor, uh, in the chapter where uh, he's worried that, you know, they're not going to make it in time, um, that they're not going to be able to open up this gate before they're overwhelmed by this Gortide. Because, again, this is a war band of, like, thousands of soldiers. Like, I shouldn't say soldiers. Warriors is probably yeah. a better way to say it. But while you're kind of getting this uh, internal thoughts of um, Ionis, the Lord Relictor, we have a moment where we get to see a, I guess, the first Stormcast casualty of the battle, which actually does say something because at this point the battle has been going on for quite a bit and they haven't actually suffered any losses yet. Um, but the first Retributor does go down and this is where you kind of get to see the cool, um, some of the cool abilities of the Lord Relictor um, using magic and stuff like that. He's able to actually get the Retributor back up on his feet and he just gets up and he's right back in the combat swinging his hammer like nothing happened. It's just he goes from getting stabbed in the throat to on the ground dead to back to life to swinging his hammer at more corn dudes in like the matter of 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. At this point, Ionis is scanning the battlefield. Like I said, he's worried that they don't have enough time. So he's trying to find like the most, like the big. Hey everyone, because of some connection issues, we lost this uh, bit of audio here. Uh, all that really happens is Ionis is like scanning the battlefield and sees his kind of like mirror in the blood secrator. Um, he has a bit of a second where he hopes that they can defend the gate in time and then it cuts to Anactos. Yeah, so after we get the POV of Ionis, the Lord Relector, we actually get like an above battlefield. Um, POV again of Anactos and his prosecutors and this is them kind of working more um, feverishly now to get this realm gate open um, they're kind of looking at you know the flow of the battle and they realize that if they don't have reinforcements soon they're going to start taking casualties and then once that starts happening the, the real issues going to show up of their formations will break and stuff like that and I just thought that that was pretty cool. But even with like all with Anactos and all the prosecutors like trying as hard as they can to open up uh, this gate, they just the amount of magic that they're throwing at this thing is actually weakening them, and they're just worried that they're not going to have enough to open it. And uh, even in pain, Anactos and them are giving their all, and the chapter actually ends with kind of on a bleak note um, with Anactos thinking to himself, uh, even as he let loose and the comet born fire streaked to its target, he could not shake one terrible nagging thought. We have come too late. We cannot break it in time. Yeah, so uh, I really like how even though the Stormcaster, you know, they're in there, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's just they recognize that the just sheer number of warriors in the gore tide will eventually break them. And if they fail here, there's no real second go at this area and they need to make it work. So I just, I, I really like how they go from how imposing and like how all the hope of the last chapter for the Stormcast is kind of like 
dampened down and you're wondering, are they actually going to do something? And like, are they actually going to make it through this? So I like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, kind of crazy. Just they, even though the Stormcast appeared and it's like so much hope, so much of the epicness I was mentioning before, they saw that sense there. It's like, oh yeah, they're here. Oh wait, there's still a ton of corn there. There's still all this chaos. It's not just, you know, aha, we're a Stormcast. Knock down the chaos. We continue forward. No, we have to fight tooth and nail for this. But I mean, would the Stormcast have wanted to make a different entrance? <laughs> no, they made a pretty awesome entrance. I think this is exactly how they would have wanted to come down. They were Some of them have been waiting for centuries to kick some corn ass, and they got all the corn ass they could ever desire. <laughs> yeah, that's not a lie. That brings us into Chapter 6, then. So, Call like, basically starts the chapter by ordering Skullbrand to attack the prosecutors, basically, actually, specifically, they open the realm of brass, which, you know, is Korn's realm. Hey. Yeah. Um, they, because the prosecutors are doing stuff, they're trying to activate the gate, he wants to stop them. But after he orders uh, Skullbrand to do this, he marches towards Vandis. Suddenly, he's stopped by these memories starting to flood through his head. He remembers, like, burning a village. He remembers a man who fought against him kind of looks like Vandis. This man defied Call, but in the moment that Call was about to strike him down to kill him, there was this flash of lightning, and the man was gone. Call never had his kill, and he realizes who Vandis was. Anyways, to open the gate of brass, Skullbrand slams his standard into the ground. Once it's in the ground, chaotic magic starts pouring out of it. I just want to take a quick note. I find it interesting that this chaotic magic is pouring out of it because Korn is always seen as the god against magic. Not necessarily he's against magic, he's just against magic in its you know, form to other gods or people used for casting it. Um, it's just kind of interesting to think about. But yeah, as he, uh, the chaotic magic starts pouring out of it, Skullbrand cries out, couple different curses it specifically says eight different curses and if i remember right eight is the number of corn uh summoning the realm of chaos into the mortal realm of akshi fire shoots out of the standard and the ground around it begins to boil began to rain blood this fuels the followers of corn enraging them and empowering them they all begin chanting blood for the blood god blood for the blood god Roaring and laughing, Skullbrand orders the warriors to slaughter all the Stormcast, specifically to slaughter everyone. We flip back to Vandis. Vandis is beating uh, back to Korgrath. He hits him a weak spot, specifically powering his hammer, hitting this kind of like holy flame. Um, and as he's doing this, uh, he sees the chaotic realm opening up and all these warriors being uh, raged up. You know, going into their corn roared rage, he rallies the Stormcast. Anactos, the uh, leader of the prosecutors, flying around the gate, trying to open the portal, or trying to open the gate as the portal to the realm of chaos opens. He has charged one of his transmuting hammers with the common ability that Bryce is talking about, and he has to make a choice between taking a skull brand or to take or try opening up the gate one last time. He throws it at the gate. But the moment he does it, Skullbrand's thrown axe rips into him, like piercing his spine. 
and he crashed to the ground. And I kind of love his last little words because as he crashed to the ground, he's surrounded by blood reavers. And one moment here as I look at the page. Here it is. Yeah. So he's starting to be surrounded by blood reavers who are all about to chart like they start chopping into him and make him a bloody mess. He just grins at them and says, Bye, Sigmar. Your breed is ugly. I love it. Just that little moment of like, you're ugly as he's about to be chopped up into bits. You're gonna die. You may as well go out insulting the bad guys. Absolutely. That's way more badass. <laughs> yeah, so as this is happening, Inus is fighting. His men are being struck down around him. Um, as his guards fall, he's able to bring them back, basically bring these lightning from the sky to hit them and kind of revive them, as long as they're not too chopped up, too broken. Essentially, you know, they need to have a body to go into, and if their body's missing arms, it's kind of useless. <laughs> and Ina sees Akatos fall. Like, he so- sees Akatos throw the hammer, and he sees him fall as the um, axe chops into his spine. And he sees the hammer hit the gate, and he basically tells everyone, Hold your ground. This is our moment. And suddenly, the, everything starts shaking. Um, a raging tempest opens inside the gate. Uh, the gate starts vibrating. This old stonework uh, breaks off it and kind of reveals the structure that is a pure ivory. Um, and this tempest inside is like raging. You kind of see almost like a battle between this dark, chaotic, like, corruption and this gold flames, and these gold flames overtakes it and just fills this, uh, the archway with this raging infernal gold, and in that moment, like, the worshipers of Corn Bears start shaking because armies start marching out of it, these armies of Stormcast it's like, oh, yeah reinforcements are here, not only are this, re- army reinforcements are badass just marching at the gates prepared to fight they are ready to take some corn ass and i kind of like this last little bit because then ins cripborn starts yelling at some great little lines and so begins the time of vengeance the cripcorn declaims holding uh his reliquary aloft and relishing cold fires from its casket now march my brothers and bring death to the enemy I love it. It is so epic. Mm-hmm. I, I I really love this whole the whole just the visuals of this chapter are fantastic. They're such a good job. I just love it. It's like chaos is like we're doing we're doing good, and then they open the gates of his ear, and it's like bitch, you thought like <laughs> here's the rest of our guys. You didn't think we sent everyone? <laughs> oh, you thought that was everything? Oh, you were wrong. Uh, I love it. So good. This book is so good. Again, I guess I will give one begrudging maybe the Stormcaster cool. <laughs> We're not keeping count. Yeah. You've given several of those. Bryce is keeping episodes, count. So that's fine. <laughs> Bryce is. Yeah, I'm keeping yeah. count, you fuckers. <laughs> All right. Well, I think you've already told me how you're feeling, so I won't ask. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we if we say the Stormcaster cool like three more times, I think we legally both have to buy Stormcast armies, and I can't afford it. <laughs> All right, Bryce, take it away. Tell us what happens in Chapter 7. All right. With the start of Chapter 7, um, it's actually uh, Torgus Tull's perspective. And it basically just starts with him getting, like, a boner <laughs> over the Stormcast and how wonderful of opponents they're going to be. And there's a good bit here 
where he's like, he gazed out at their sheer perfection. They were arrayed just as the others in the shimmering display of gold and cobalt, each of them bearing the hammer sigil of their peerless armor plate. If they had been a formidable foe before, they were now truly daunting, a test for the greatest of all the realms. At that, Corgus Cull let slip a harsh laugh of pure pleasure. The blood god had blessed him beyond measure. The long years of boredom and futility were forgotten in that instant, replaced by the fervor that only came from mortal danger. So like I was saying, this man's literally deriving pleasure from the fact that he has someone who he can fight that there's a chance of being murdered by. I mean, he sounded like he was pretty bored. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, Cordis Cole isn't a idiot, and he realizes that, you know, now that there's ten times the enemy on the battlefield, and his boys were getting whooped by the previous... 10% of what was now on the battlefield. Um, he wants to focus elsewhere in the battle than the gate. So at this point, it's just he wants to bloody the Stormcast. And to do that, he wants to go after their leader, Vandus. After uh, he kind of decides that he needs to focus himself elsewhere he spends a moment watching vandis fight and uh as he's watching vandis fight he has a, a name come to mind the dire brands and as this comes to mind he remembers that they had a leader named Blackfist. kind of watching him it's all making sense now those thoughts that he was having earlier he realizes that this lord celestin that's in front of him fighting is a man that dared challenge him in the past, but at the like a moment before their uh, duel began, like Carla mentioned earlier, he just disappeared in a flash of lightning. The book does a little bit of mentioning here that even though that Cull was rewarded his hound Grizzlemaw, he still raged for an entire year. And just went and destroyed literally everything he could because he didn't get to fight him. I want to fight that guy. Oh, yeah. It was just like, Corn's like, good job, buddy. Here's a puppy. And he's like, no, fuck you. God damn it. Such a temper tantrum. I wanted to impress you, Corn Senpai. Yeah. I wanted to fight him. I wanted to fight him so bad. <laughs> but yeah, with this kind of realization that this is his lost you know, quarry that this was going to be his greatest kill, or I guess his last greatest kill, um, because the the Blackfist was, you know, the last of the people to really oppose him. He's like, now I really need to kill this guy, and he just fucking beelines it straight at him. With that, we cut over to Vec, the Bloodstoker. And basically this part is just, he's watching his guys kind of, you know, lose their will to fight and stuff like that. And he's just whipping them back in the action to try and uh, deal with the storm cast. And again, his focus is kind of set on Vandis as well. So not only does he have um, Torgus Cull coming for, for him, he has this Bloodstoker wanting him dead as well. All of Gorn's just so thirsty after Vandis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, big shiny man. Maybe bleed shiny? Must know. 
so after the short bit with Vec and you know him whipping his guys back into action to get after Vanus, we actually cut to Vanus's point of view and uh it starts off with just mentioning that uh he fought with the strength of a man renewed uh with the gate opening he's you know not feeling so much negativity about the battle there's not so much like what if we don't do this he actually he can put his entire mind to you know just smacking corn dudes with his hammer and it does like a little bit of him as he's fighting he's doing a recollection of you know exactly what has led him to this point it does a little bit about his reforging and his training and like his time in uh sigmaron um and it kind of you know he acknowledges that all of this is being done so that they'd have enough strength to come back into the world and deal with what he's dealing with right now so after we kind of get like this inner thoughts of vandus on the battlefield and stuff like that we switch over to ionis again and him leading his uh, retributors and soldiers into the fray now. Like they're actually using their momentum with fresh recruits and stuff like that to push back the enemies. But at the same time that, you know, keeping the charge going, he's thinking to himself, you know, we can't get overzealous. We can't be, we can't think that we've won this already. And just as he's doing that, a second Kordorath just comes out of nowhere. And is coming right for him, but also uh, Vandis, who's with him at this point. So even with the Retributors uh, working on it and not being able to bring it down, it's kind of up to Ionis to use his magic to bring it down. So in like a last uh, in the last ditch effort, before he's kind of like crumpled by this Kordrath, he sh- uh, summons a wall of pale gray energy that just kind of instantly chars it and like burns the crap out of it with some sort of i don't know holy light they don't exactly say if it's holy or what he does show shyish beforehand so i'm going to assume it's something necromantic um so you know with this Kordrath dying the stormcast kind of see what the real purpose of it was and that was to open up a big hole in their lines and it did a great job of doing that because following right up behind them is actually uh Cordus Cull and his blood warriors and everything. Uh so yeah after a bit of a back and forth between Ionis and Cull, Cull just straight up admits that uh he's not even there to fight him, that he's he's just in his way to get the Vandis and he kind of positions himself so that he can get away from Ionis in the middle of the battle and in doing so it was just kind of like hey if you're not dead at the end of the battle let me know because you would be cool in my group of friends kind of like as a you know when you lose you can join my team buddy (laughs) don't worry I'm always recruiting for Korgul clan (laughs) Um, so yeah after that and Cole getting away from him we kind of get to the big battle that the book's been leading up to between Vandis and Cole. It's, you know, one of your stereotypical um, rivalry battles. There's a bit of, you know, back and forth throughout the fight and some really cool moments. I just want to interject with a line here from Cole. 
just uh, him fighting at Vandas. And it's like, will you be taken away from me again? I wonder. Muse calls, circling at Drakoth, keeping his axe edge high. At the moment when I t- held your life in my hands, will your god king pull you from peril as he did before? Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, like I said, there's like a lot of back and forth during this fight. And during majority of it, you know, Vandis is feeling kind of sluggy and he's noticing that his attacks aren't, you know, landing where he wants them to. And there's actually one point in the fight where, you know, Torgus Call thinks he's being like a real badass boss. But what he ends up actually doing, and the only way I can really explain, the easiest is if you've seen Dragon Ball Z, Vandis just goes straight up Ultra Instinct and just like gets this aura around him and then just turns into basically a Super Saiyan and just starts beating the crap out of Corgus. <laughs> Going well for our boy the Cull. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with uh, with Vandis kind of you know going Ultra Instinct with this burst of power that uh, he kind of he comes to. There's a revelation that he has during the battle where he realizes that he's not no longer fighting for a world that he had left behind. He's fighting to create a world for other people to live in. And it's kind of like this moment where he realizes his actual purpose and it gives him that clarity to start fighting. And then that's where he does do the bit of like the ultra instinct stuff. But after he does do that, he best call. And as he's about to, like, deliver the killing blow, uh, Cole actually hits him like he did with that uh, Blood Reaver earlier in the book. He hits him with this, you know, the grand visage of his gold pyramid. Sorry, we had a brief disconnect there, but I was just starting to go into um, how it's such a hero moment for Bandis, uh, getting that, um, like, getting reborn in that moment. It's like, holy crap. No, I'm not this scared kid anymore. I am here to fight. I am here for more than just myself. Such a great moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's, it's it's that moment that Vandis goes from a character who's fighting for vengeance and like revenge, and he goes from a, to a character who's fighting to secure a future. And that's that's the difference between like you know an antihero or like a selfish individual and an actual hero is knowing who they're fighting for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess that takes us into closings for chapter eight. More or less chapter eight is kind of just a light simmering of everything after it. Um, the Stormcasts are marching forward, taking out the Worshippers of Korn. Call has escaped, or it says never returned. As I think of it, uh, he ran away with his tail caught between his legs. And essentially, Vandis goes to talk to Ionis. And basically, Ionis is like, saw Vandis have its rebirth. And Vandis is like, did you doubt me and such? And I was like, well, you know. And Ionis notices that Vandis seems to remember his past. And it's like, well, you're charged with forgetting the reforging should have made you whole, should have made you forget everything. Vandis just kind of asks Ionis, like, have you forgotten everything? And more or less, Ionis kind of doesn't say yes or no, but he says, well, 
we both got to learn that there is no going back. We are Stormcast now. We can't go back to what we were. And Vanda says, you know, there will be second reforging for you and for the others. And this, that moment where he had his kind of big heroic moment, that was his second reforging. Kind of really uh, adds to the whole rebirth. And they talk about how Call uh, lives, um, but the shame of his survival will haunt him. And he will come back um, once he's been healed uh, and that they got to be ready for him because he's going to come back with rage. I mean, this was a bit of an embarrassment for him. He did uh, just get his butt hick handed uh, to him on the literal verge of his uh, transfer, or I guess the term is apotheosis into becoming a demon, which is not a good time to get uh, your butt kicked in front of corn. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, then we kind of switch over to one of the tribe people again, uh, Kalja. She, her and her people basically watched this all happen. She saw the Blood Reavers retreat. They saw the beam of light. They saw all this happening. Uh, at one point, she kind of wanted to help, uh, but her people pulled her back. It's like, are you crazy? Leave them. Leave the people to slaughter each other. And she eventually one of the Stormcast. She either goes to him or he goes to her. Either way, um, it this she just sees this giant mass killer uh, turns on her, and the moment he holds his hammer in his hand, ready to strike. But then he hesitates. He gets down on uh, a knee and looks at her. Basically, kind of brings her head uh, up to a level where he can kind of look or brings his head, sorry, to her, kind of looks at her, and I just, I like this. You are whole, the warrior said. His voice had been deeper and more resonant than anything she had ever heard. There had been something else there, too. Astonishment, perhaps. By Sigmar, you are whole. It really shows that he wasn't expecting to find people not corrupted by uh, chaos. They expected everyone to be there absolutely corrupt by chaos, not be whole, as they put it. Yeah, and Bandis then goes to her and talks to her and just asks her, like, what's her name? Who? Yeah. How many survivors are out there? Uh, are there more tribes out there? Do you know of them? Kind of, you know, asking all that stuff. And then she asks him, like, what are you? Bandis simply responds that we are salvation. We are the end to pain and the beginning of hope. While one of us draws breath, you'll never be hunted again. We are the warriors of Sigmar, and this is the dawn of his age. And I think that's a pretty good spot to leave the book then, because that's a great, that's a great closing line. Yeah, it's not the last line of the book, but I personally think it should be. He just adds a couple more paragraphs, and it's like, no, 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 that's a great line to end off with. No, that is where the book ends. If you it, there is like some extra flavor at the end that you don't have to read, don't read it. It's not important. <laughs> Just end the book at the cool the cool line. All right. Well, Greg, I'm going to ask you now that we've gone through it and everything. What is your thoughts on the first uh, book of the Roundgate Wars? Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think that the Stormcast are kind of badasses. Um. <laughs> Don't you give me your stupid little, uh, I like Stormcast, uh, <laughs> fucking laugh, Bryce, I hear it. Um, 
I don't rip on anybody for what they play, and you you guys rip on me for playing Stormcast, so I'm just saying. <laughs> Your time will come, Bryce. You've been waiting. You're like, <laughs> you'll all understand. We're doing this podcast, and soon everyone will understand how cool the Stormcasts are. Well, fine. Uh, no. Exactly. Uh, absolutely fantastic book. Um, I really like... I like. Uh, I always like getting to spend time with the bad guys, and we get to spend a lot of time with the uh, with the corn followers in this book. Um, and it really just makes you hate them. They're just bastards. Absolutely. I'm just gonna say, I'm a huge like horror novel fan, and I love the way how this book kind of opens up with the people trying just to survive, and then it goes into detail of you know the gore orgy and everything else, like. Oh, 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 like just nastiness and everything. It is very grim dark for anyone to like say AOS isn't grim dark. No, it has its moments, but it always has a sense of hope to it. But when it goes dark, oh my gosh, it is disgusting. I guess I think that my only criticism would be is how am I ever supposed to take Corgus Cull seriously after this? He lost so hard in this book. Um,. Like, I just don't know how I'm supposed to see him as a threat. Like, sure, he's a big, scary dude. Like, undeniable. But he did get his butt handed to him by a bunch of Stormcasts already, so... Hmm. That's my only criticism, is like, ah... Corgus Cull kind of died, or kind of lost like a bitch. He got trampled by his own guys. (laughs) Yeah, that was, uh... He was a little too arrogant. He has been going on for a long time about a true challenge, so... No, it's kind of that moment of, aha, challenge, not thinking, oh, wait, I can get beaten. Because he hasn't been beaten. Oh, he hasn't. And, well, he hasn't been beaten, but he didn't get to win that one time. But, yeah. So That one was uh, described as an unwinnable duel for Vandas. Yeah, I guess. Anyways. <laughs> I really like this book. I think it's a great introduction to the Stormcast. Yeah. It basically gets you in... It, it, it gets you... You know, if you were to start Anywhere in the series, this is a great start. It introduces you immediately to the Stormcast. It introduces you to the to the bad guys and really about what they're all about. Um, gives you some cool hero moments and then sets up the rest of like the Age of Sigma really well. Like I, I honestly say, like even before going into all of the history of the Age of Myth and whatnot, like this is a really good starting point. Mm -hmm. 100% it's a good epic book and it's not very long it's a great way to get started all right well i i i love the fact we covered it it's great i um if there's any other thoughts we could state them now but i think we we've really got our thoughts out as we were talking about it yeah um absolutely and i think we can move into the final segment of our of our podcast then uh we can move into model watch if everybody is on board for that sure All right, so we are moving into Model Watch. This is where we talk about the coolest models that have been recently released or announced, uh, at least to us. So by the time this podcast comes out, uh, it is not going to be as new anymore. But we wanted to cover in depth today, uh, specifically the Cursed City release. Um, This is the new boxed set for Warhammer Quest. And oh god, it looks good. I don't know how it's going to be, but it's going to be more money than I have. It looks so epic. I am curious about the price. Like, if the price isn't too high, I'm going to beg my wife. Well, even if it's high, I'm still going to beg my wife to let me buy it. 
because the amount of content in this like there's eight heroes there's 42 hostiles as it puts it which includes like heroes and like chaff uh, 10 objective markers some Warshall books, yeah. to- tokens, dice, board tiles, uh, cards, like a whole ton of different stuff. So much stuff in this box. Oh, yeah. So. And then uh, don't forget about the fact that, like, I don't know, I, I literally think that these are some of the nicest models that we've done so far in. Yo, absolutely. Yeah, no, without a doubt. We've Maybe. talked about some of them with our. Uh, model watch before um but now we have a, a little more in-depth look i gotta say like the new like shambling zombies look fantastic and i really like the caradron overlords uh hero that you get to use yeah. just some cool looking stuff here there's mm-hmm. one weird thing that like i don't know why they did this in the advertising specifically they show two sets of the exact same zombies that have just been recolored so there's only five <laughs> models here of zombies, but the two pictures of them are one picture with the with one color, then another picture, and they've shuffled the zombies around and repainted them. But they're definitely the same sculpts, which I find a little strange. Hmm. Um, yeah, I see that. The, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of the the human. I don't know the, the character's name. The human female with like the sword, and it's mostly just because I love the. I'm going to speak to the manager haircut. Hmm. I, I absolutely love it just for the Karen haircut. Like, that's it. That's all I wanted in my model. <laughs> uh, but, like, absolutely so many good sculpts in here. Uh, the rat swarms are great. Um, those look great, great oh, yeah. for Skaven players because uh, I think we need new rat swarms. I don't think we. I don't know if the rat swarms specifically have a sculpt or if you just stick a bunch on a base. I believe um, they have a sculpt. I could be wrong, but yeah, this was definitely better. Yeah. And then, of course, all of the undead heroes. I want all of them. The the vamps are just feral enough that they absolutely would be good flesh eater quartz models. Although they're kind of like wolf feet, but that kind of works for flesh eater quartz as well. <laughs> um, I love the big dude with the two wolves over his shoulder. Uh, again, I see a model that I'm um I can't wait until this guy is a space wolf because he's gonna be. Uh, some some player is gonna spend the time and figure out how to carve that wolf cloak off of him and put it on a space wolf oh yeah um and the big uh, the big the big um like vampire bat hybrid is gonna be a great like um i think it's a var var golf i don't actually remember but the one of the the flesh eater courts uh hqs um i want this and I don't know if I'm gonna be able to buy it myself, but I'm gonna. I might just try to get some of the models out of this box because I want that skeleton man <laughs> and his skeleton friends. Yeah, I. I've always wanted to get one of the Warhammer Quest box, but I haven't yet. But this is this looking so so good, and it mm. looks like they've taken aspects of what they learned from Blackstone Fortress. Because I'm looking at the dice and some of the counters, like it. Because they had Warhammer Quest Silver Tower, which people liked, but then they went to the second one, which I'm forgetting what the name was, but people didn't like that one as much because they introduced like a DM function, which got rid of the wholly co- cooperative function of the game. Mm. With Blackstone Fortress, they went back to it and fleshed, fleshed out the fully cooperative, no DM aspect to it. And it looks like they're continuing that with this game. Well, like it just, it's also, I don't know if they've done a box with this many guys in it. 
Like, just doing the math right now, that's 60 models in this box. Uh, the uh, Blackstone Fortress one had a lot of models in it. I remember that for a fact. I'll see how many it had in it and see if this is yeah, more or less. Because yeah, there's a bunch of, like, Chaos uh, Guardsmen, and then they had, like, the, the Beastmen Raiders yeah. and shit like that. Well, yeah. the, that one w- thing that gets me... Go ahead. That one was 180, so the hopes is that it's around the same same price. That's what I was thinking. Most of their big box sets were around that price. No, nope, this one was around the price. Blackstone Fortress had 44 models. That's pretty uh, close. Th- no, this has 60. Now, well, 60 including objective markers. Yeah, I'm not going to include objective markers as models. Uh, I think I would, but like those would be nice. GW definitely is. Yeah, I guess. But, even then, it's still uh, 50, so that's six more models. So hopefully, you know, this will be around the same price. as Because um, mm-hmm. if it is, I absolutely want to get a copy. Or at least split it and just divvy up the parts when we're done playing. Yeah, I really like the fact they're including a Warshall book as well, which will be kind of like, yeah, you can use all these things in your Warhammer uh, Oh, game. I didn't see that. Yep. Yeah. I didn't actually... Okay, shit. I hope they... Uh... I hope they like preview some of the war scrolls out of these guys because I'd love to see where they're fitting right now. Mm. And I'm really excited. Like as GW does, they always release a novel to go with their like game box sets. Whether oh, it's yeah. uh, Warhammer, Warhammer Underworld, the or... City book. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I'm excited to crack into this. I'm excited to read it, and I'm excited to talk about it on this podcast. Oh yeah, I'm looking oh, yeah. forward to the book too. I really yeah. like the City of Sigmar POVs that we've gone before, so interested in seeing more of the Cult of Sigmar type characters. Absolutely. So many good skeleton boys <laughs> in this box. <laughs> I can't wait to see that poor Legions of Nagash player who just buys eight copies of this box just to get the nicer skeleton hmm. sculpts out of it, and we see like a hundred of these guys on the table, and you just go like, that man has more money than Brain. Yeah. <laughs> someone's gonna do it and that player will be me <laughs> alright so I think you know we talked about that uh, is there anything else we need to talk about before we shove off for the uh, for the, uh, for the, for the day. day whatever it is whatever time you're listening to it that's the time <laughs> I said All right. no I think we're good well if not yeah, if not, I'd like to thank you all for listening to Realmwalkers, and by joining us, you are now a Realmwalker too. We look forward to having you join us next time we dive into the realm of Akshi. Realm of Fire. More, more so than we've done already. <laughs> Alright, I think we're good then. Yeah, uh, see you all later. Uh, we're doing one.